My name's Jason Fleming, and this is the More Than My Past podcast from the Forward Trust. Unlike a lot of the ex-prisoners I speak to on this podcast, my guest on this episode didn't live a life of crime before she was put away. Marie Claire O'Brien was 26 when she crashed her car into a tree after a night out of heavy drinking, killing her close friend in the passenger seat. The shock of that accident and her subsequent 14-month jail sentence resulted in an emotional breakdown, but also the beginning of a new chapter in her life. After release, Marie Claire used her experience to set up New Leaf, a West Midlands-based social enterprise which offers support to those facing the many challenges of life after prison. Our conversation focused on her time inside and how she has since managed to channel her guilt into motivation for helping others turn their own lives around. I hope you'll agree that Marie Claire's story is living proof of the importance of second chances, third chances, fifth chances, tenth chances. We leave no one behind. Just to start us off, I've spoken to a few women who do amazing work you know, in and out of prison. But what I found interesting about your story, and I'd like to talk about, which um, I think the listeners will find really interesting, is that for you, it came, you know, like with no dress rehearsal, no, yeah. there, was no there was no training wheels for you about that life and, and, and your, um, your incarceration. Can you tell me just how that was for someone who wasn't used to that world? It was a massive shock to the system. Um, not going to lie, I wouldn't, have said that I was streetwise at all um really before you know as a teenager definitely not I led I led a really sort of sheltered life thanks to my parents but then I think sort of 15 upwards that you know variety of situations kind of shook those you know those foundations of thinking that everything was always going to be okay you know like there was parents separating and um being knifed at school and stuff so th- those things had an impact but you know my, my father's death I think was the biggest um trigger <laughs> when I look back definitely you know how losing. old were you then um so 19 when he was diagnosed I lived with him from the age of 15 when my parents split right so yeah, I chose to live with dad um, and then when I was 19, he was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer. So, yeah, I was kind of with him every step of the way with, with that. And, you know, in the end, he, he died at home with me, which was a beautiful thing to, you know, it was a perfect death, really. I can say that looking back now with comfort. But at the time, it was very different, very, very traumatic and very just, you know, I was just really drowning in grief is is the best way to describe it with you know heartbreak but honestly um, very angry at the world and I think that anger one thing I've learned I think from being in the system is that hurt people hurt people unfortunately mm-hmm. um, and that's not an excuse that's not you know to minimize what I did at all it's I suppose to understand why these things can happen and in my experience of, of prison and everybody I've met since that's it kind of thing a lot of people most people in there are kind of in there because of traumatic triggers that they haven't dealt with haven't had the chance to deal with and and that's kind of culminated in um hurting other people yeah it's interesting i was um i was in prison on saturday and uh it sort of eased up because the covid restrictions have eased up a bit so the atmosphere is so much better it's so much uh, easier to be in there and you can see that people are so much 
so much more um, calm. But the the guard on Saturday said he sort of prefixed his point. He was making a point to me about something. He said, you know, a lot of people in here have got mental health problems. <laughs> I was like, really? Really? I'm glad you told me that because I would never have known. You know what I mean? And it comes on to what you said about, which is a lovely expression that I didn't, I've never heard before that hurt people hurt people. And um, once you got in, once you were in, I mean, I'd love to talk to you about those early those early moments of, of incarceration to someone who's not used to that world. But once you got in, you did get some kind of therapy, didn't you? Yeah, very, very lucky. Um, I didn't realise then how lucky I was, but now knowing the prison system and knowing how few and far between therapeutic wings are, you know, especially in female prisons back in back then, you know, in mm-hmm. 2006, 2007 when I was in prison, and yeah, I you know first prison was Eastwood Park. Was there for just a few days before they shipped me out to HMP Send. And at HMP Send at the time, they had a wrapped wing, which was obviously where my link with the Forward Trust kind of began. Yeah, but very much like in denial about my place, my right to be on the for- unwrapped because you know it was very much around drug addicted prisoners. Mm-hmm. Um, the rehabilitation of people, most of whom had been in touch with sort of crack heroin. Um, you know, the, the more serious, you know, the big players in the drugs yeah. world. And that hadn't been my experience. And I think I think the reason people thought that I should go on there was purely um, for the therapeutic element, really. It was, yeah. you know, sh- uh, struggling to deal with the crash and everything, the guilt um, and the shame and stuff. Not having weed and, you know, my usual crutches there to kind of support me because obviously I was in prison. Um, and all my emotions just came rushing back I think from you know from my dad's um illness even because that yeah. that had been when my my weed use and my drug my recreational drug use had really sort of skyrocketed so those years of kind of blocking out all those emotions just kind of flooded back and I think yeah. I had some really good people around me in prison it's a myth that all prisoners are bad very 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 much the opposite there was some lovely matriarchal figures in there like mums that just wanted to like look after me and could see vulnerability that I had at the time and just really you know wrapped around me I'm forever grateful for those women honestly it's almost like I I mean I don't I don't think consider myself a religious person but I do believe in a certain amount to do with fate and karma and um, and I've spoken to a few people who have had a prison experience which actually horrific though it the, the the beginnings of that were has actually saved their lives you know and it feels a little bit like to me, Marie Claire, Marie Claire, that you might not have sought out that therapy if you hadn't been in the nick. Definitely. And, you know, I, I was glad to be in prison. I think I was one of the few prisoners that had still felt that I deserved more than deserved that sentence, you know, deserved a longer sentence, a more punitive sentence, you know, deserved everything that I got when I was on that sentence. So, so, you know, that's where my compliance came from. I think yeah. a lot of it was around just, you know, I deserve to be here and and come with that what may. And that's because you felt that after what had happened and after the, the death of that uh, person in the car, that you that it was in some way deserved that you should serve that sentence as a sort of, a, you know, as a, as, a, as a punishment. Yeah, absolutely. It was, you know, it's, it's the least I yeah. could do, you know, was serve a sentence to... Um, to kind of give some retribution, or, you know, to, to allow some retribution to f- fall upon me in the eyes of his family, you know, my, yeah. my friend's family, who I think going through what I went through with my dad through natural causes really taught me that 
you need somebody to blame sometimes yeah. and I was that person to a lot of people so yeah like I totally got that I needed that sentence and actually even since then with hindsight I realized that that sentence did save my life not not because I don't think I'd have been okay if I hadn't had a sentence but in the sense of I don't think I would have ever coped with the guilt yeah. if if I hadn't had some kind of punishment um I'd, if I'd got away with it which I never you know never have tried to do but if I had got away with it in some way I'd, I'd, I would never have let myself get away with it do you know mm -hmm. I understand that and does that sort of plague you still or have you managed to come to terms with that a little bit yeah it, so I've had counseling since and I think it's something that it's it's an ongoing battle I think I'm quite self-aware and I'm quite good at recognizing um when it's playing a part in, you know, my relationships or, or how I feel about myself and stuff. But ultimately, I'm in a, I'm in a good place. And I had a counsellor that kind of wrapped it up for me um, because I was, you know, searching for this place from before, I think, where I could be truly happy and content. And, and ultimately, yeah. like, that's not available to me now because of what happened. But things are still good. You know, I've got a good life. I do, I do important work. Um, I've got an amazing child and I've got mm. a few good friends and family around me. So I genuinely feel that everything is, is all right in the, you know, all right in the world in terms of how I deal with that, that trauma. I use it as an energy. Um, yeah. I refuse to be a victim about it. It's interesting when you're in prison, for instance, if you're in a woman's prison and you know 8,000 women are imprisoned annually, separating themselves from their kids, and most of those women uh, are in prison for theft, and these, I'm just throwing some figures at you, but and 80% of the people in prison for theft is for shoplifting. And that can be for, you know, as little as a 10 pound, two bottles of, you know, two bottles of white wine, you could end up with a sentence. So when you're in, when you were in prison and you're surrounded and you feel like you should be there and it's justified that you're there and you've got a peace with being in prison, but you're surrounded by people who are outraged and angry about being there. How does that work? Does that give you, does it make your time, e obviously it makes your time easier because you feel in some way it's a retribution for what happened, but how is that to be surrounded by people who are in prison for something which they shouldn't be incarcerated for? Well, it's devastating, isn't it? It shakes it shakes your core beliefs. You know, before that, I'd lived, like I said, a pretty sheltered life, really, in terms of socio-political knowledge. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? I, I knew what I, I saw in the papers and what I experienced um, in my life, which wasn't what these women were experiencing, you know, this the situations that some of these women were, were coming from were just horrendous. Yeah. And it was just a massive, it was just a massive eye opener. It was like a light bulb moment around choice. And before I had this real sort of neoliberal way of looking at things, which, which was, you know, yes, there's issues there, but it's all about your choices um, and how you respond to those issues. And I still think that that has a part to play in everybody's, you know, in everybody's sort of success or not. But, Ultimately, you can't deny <laughs> once you've lived, once you've been in prison, and you see like the revolving door of women coming in and out, in and out because they're homeless on release, or because you know their 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 drug addiction that they've had for twenty years has has never been has never even been attempted to be tackled. You know, like yeah. it's just heartbreaking because um, the the other myth is that these women don't want to change, that they're happy with their lot. 
and of course they're not. No. It's just it's just a sad fact that sometimes prison is better for them than what's outside. You know, if you're sleeping in a tent and not knowing where your next meal's coming from, and you know you're fighting with an addiction, you know prisons prisons are prisons like somewhere where you can get fed three times a day at the very at the very least and have people around you that kind of at least try and tackle some of those issues while they've got you. The problem is that when you get out the gate those issues still remain the same unless like me you were really lucky and able to tap into some you know decent therapy that was worth a lot of money you know it was really yeah. lucky to tap into that i mean there's a structure there's a structure in the nick isn't there that's undeniable you know it, it, no matter how archaic that structure is it's there and you know since you got out and set up new leaf you, i guess maybe like, and that's your baby it's your charity and it, it maybe you could tell us a little bit about that and about how you know, when people come out now, or what's the process of someone who's in prison who who gets in touch with New Leaf? And, and take me through that path from being inside to, to a new beginning or to break in that cycle of addiction, re-addiction, re-offending. Yeah, so, so I think from my own experience and that of, of other prisoners, there's a lot of great support out there. There's a lot of great organisations doing fan, fantastic work. But unless you're in the know, you you wouldn't know how to tap into that support. It's all very siloed. It's all very fragmented. So for me, I think with New Leaf, and I think also having that insight of, of lived experience, it was around creating a linear pathway that people with convictions at any point, you know, whether they're pre-sentence or, you know, pre-offence, whether they're in custody, whether they're, you know, transitioning out into the community, um, whether they've been out for 20 years and are still struggling to to get, you know, back on the ladder, um, we can support them. And, and that was always the idea, I think, in my mind, was around that pathway, just, just something linear that they could jump onto at any point. So, for example, we've got prison industry um, inside HMP Huel, and we're also in talks with other prisons where the guys create um, beautiful creative furniture from from recycled wood recycled pallets and then we we sell that but more importantly we feed in qualifications vocational qualifications which help um, the guys and potentially the women get get work on release um so yeah then we've got departure lounge contracts with hmp birmingham for example and other prisons what, wanting what does to that do mean that. what does that what does that mean that, that for people who don't understand what a departure lounge is I, I... <laughs> Yeah, so like I mean, it's obviously playing on the the airport departure yeah. lounge, and if you imagine prisoners on their day of release, like we've just said about all the support um, that you know people can tap into when whilst they're in prison, but through the gate that tends to either fall by the wayside or there's a, there's a plethora of other issues. So the departure lounge. I mean, let me just explain to you, the departure lounge sounds so much grander than it is. <laughs> like yeah, during, it sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> well, during COVID, let me tell you, this support worker that I employ, Lynn, she's amazing. She got out of prison last year. Um, talk about, like, you know, the wounded healer just wanting to give back. She's the best support worker I've ever worked with, and she's like 63, I think. Oh. Um, and she stands outside the prison gates every day, Monday to Friday, um, basically meeting and greeting every single released prisoner from HMP Birmingham offering them support um you know she typically we would offer to charge their phones and give them yeah. a coffee and you know and that's not she doesn't organize to meet them she just meets whoever comes out the door she just won't she just won't be anywhere else other than oh, at the no. prison gate to meet these guys and, and give them a congratulatory you know you're out now let's 
let's do something let's do something yeah. positive what do you need how can we help you during the summer I was in the uh, outside Brixton and I just happened when I arrived this geezer was released and he had a wee blue polythene bag and like you say he obviously had 46 quid in his back pocket and he walked down towards me and he was elated you know there was no one there to meet him but he was over the moon and in Jeb Avenue which is where Brixton is he walked to the end of it and I was just standing there looking at him and he looked left and he looked right and he decided to go right and that was it and I was like oh my god how, how, how much chance do you have with no support no yeah. one there. And I kind of was sort of frightened to move. I didn't know what to do. And I thought, God, Jay, run after him. Ask him if he needs. So I ran after him and I went right. And I saw, just as I went right, I saw him on the bus going the other way. And I thought, well, he's off. You know, he's, he's off, and, mm. off and gone. But 42%, I think it is, of people leave prison without any fixed address and with no, with no uh, support. You know, mm. and it's horrendous to think that they're then meant to make the right choices choice you know? yeah choose to do something differently like like you're not foraging for survival at that point yeah. like you're not you know just bouncing from one bad choice but necessary choice to the other it just took away that bloody self-righteousness that i had yeah. around like what was doing really right going thing. on in the world yeah and doing the right thing and yeah you know the luxury of having that choice to do the right thing we've made a decision as an organization we have these really kind of we've got an amazing team this is where i, I get emotional as well as talking about my offense but we've got an amazing team of people that really just want to make a difference in the world mm -hmm. and we had a conversation the other day about what makes us different to to other age statutory agencies particularly um, who tend to think that, you know, once you've given help to somebody once, if it doesn't work, then they're hopeless. Mm -hmm. And obviously we know that rehabilitation can take, you know, on average seven chances before the penny will, will drop, you know, and, and, and life is like that, isn't it? It's not just a one, a one chance and that's it. It's yeah. kind of like an ongoing process quite a lot of the time of, of peaks and troughs and step forward and a step back. So, yeah, the, we had a conversation in our meeting on Friday, which was, you know, people aren't turning up to these courses that we run sometimes because sometimes they're just in chaos still. Yeah. And like, do we, how do we kind of tackle that? And actually what we decided after a big conversation was we tackle it with love and we just say to people, no matter how many times it takes, we're still going to be here for you and we're still going to give you an opportunity to do this course, even if you keep standing us up because yeah. that's because we care about you and because that's what makes us different to the other the others and and we all agreed that that was exactly the kind of energy that we needed to have with people was to to kind of get them to comply because of kindness and because they believe in themselves not because we're hitting them with a stick yeah like no one gets left behind it's amazing yeah, that, that yeah like we're here for you and if you're yeah. not ready for us now you might be ready for us in a year and we'll still be here for you you know because it's confidence isn't it it's like i was doing a tv show in scotland and there was a, a family and they were um they were like third generation unemployed and the grandfather hadn't worked and the father hadn't worked. And I was talking to these, this young couple who had two kids and I was like, mate, you could be extras. You could do that. That'd be amazing. And I got really excited about it. And I said, just fill in these forms, get a picture taken and bring it to me next week. And of course they didn't turn up and I got cross and I was like, I've given this opportunity. It's such a great opportunity. And they, and then I realized when I spoke to him about six months, he disappeared. And I spoke to him about six months later and he said, I went to the doors he, he he went to the doors of STV and he couldn't go through the door. 
And I had no, because for me, opening a door and walking through a door seems like a very simple thing to do. But you, that's from the luxurious position of confidence that I have. Yeah. But it's excruciating for some people to do that. And, yeah. and your disappointment at them not turning up or missing an opportunity, you have to rationalize that and see where they've come from and what they've been through. Yeah. And, you know, and that's a big thing to do. It's a hard thing to do. It's linked, you've to, had, it's linked to ego, isn't it? It's that. So what we do as what we do as agencies as well is is we measure failure on things like re reoffending, whereas we don't. So <laughs> we don't actually because I've had people um, that I've mentored or that we've worked with that have reoffended. Many many people have reoffended and will always do so. But sometimes it's that you know. So usually it's a, a less serious offence for one. So there's been <laughs> progression there. You know, in terms of they may have been there while an offence was being created uh, being done but they weren't the actual perpetrators for example mm -hmm. but actually it's like whilst they're sat in that cell it, you know and you reach out to them potentially through you know email a prisoner or through a letter just to say you know we've got you we know we know you're not feeling great at the moment and it's been a bit of a backward step but we're here and like what we're going to do differently you know it's, that is the magic moment I think sometimes where they're like bloody hell like this organisation or these people, more importantly, want the best for me. And actually, I, I should want the best for myself. Um, and because we we mirror them, because we've been in that prison cell feeling like crap about ourselves and not feeling like we deserved anything, it, you know, they can relate to us and, and they see that it's possible, really possible and tangible if they just put in a bit of hard work and it's that hard work that we kind of, that's the choice that people have got is, is that, you know, we can't make people motivated to access opportunities. Like you've just said, mm -hmm. we can work with them on mindset and we can help them to feel more confident, hopefully, which people tell us they do after they do our courses um, because they're all created by people that have been there and worn the t-shirt. But, but ultimately yeah, that motivation does have to come from within. Um, we just, I suppose, help people to light that fire and just to realise what what's possible, and then and then actually put practical opportunities in their way to, you know, so that they can that they can put it into practice and move away from that label of offender or prisoner towards student or volunteer or you know peer peer resettlement support worker or case worker what, what, I mean, CEO half, whatever half they do the, half the people that go through your hands end up you know in employment and education and but um who who employs ex offenders um Marie Claire who is it that's positively doing that are there are there companies out there who po I know there are but what's your experience with them yeah well there are companies out there I mean we all know James Tinson has you know he's doing really well um, making a, making a business and having a lot of social impact through the recruitment of people with convictions throughout his Timpsons kind of empire. There's um, there's obviously Avanti. Richard Branson has never been shy about the fact that he likes to give people with convictions a second chance, and they've recruited off us since I think around 2014. I've had a relationship with Virgin, who are now Avanti, um, and they're still doing what sort of doing what sort of stuff, or is there no limit to what they can do? No limit at all. I mean, but everybody in Virgin has kind of worked their way up from the bottom. Um, there's a really good sort of um, ethos in, com and culture within the company. So we've put people in at, at the basic role, you know, the basic roles, which would be, I suppose, around the £21,000 mark, customer mm -hmm. service, checking tickets and dealing with irate customers. But then those people, some of those people have worked their way up to be managers now and are earning 33, 35k a year. 
That's amazing. Yeah, we don't believe in sort of minimum wage roles. There's nothing. There's nothing wrong with those roles, but I definitely think we we try. You know, we aspire to we aspire to help people set bigger goals than that. You know, what you're at rock bottom now. Like I was, I was living out of a pound pot at one point, and I started my degree and started New Leaf within a month of each other. It's like whilst you're at rock bottom, it's a real opportunity to see to see what you're really capable of and, and to build something that you really want to build as opposed to what society thinks you should do. Um, so, yeah, I think I saw that opportunity and I just grabbed it. And I think if I can encourage other people to do the same, if it's right for them, brilliant. But actually, I'm just a real advocate for peer interventions in general. I mean, you, you and I both know about AA, 12 Steps programmes, all these mutual aid programmes. They're so sustainable and so valuable in terms of what they give not just to the recipient the person who's in receipt of of you know the mentoring or the, the support work it's the person who's giving that support yeah, as pride, well. so it, yeah in my journey like helping others has been beneficial to me in my own mind and guilt you know that guilt that 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 kind of negative stuff that I carry around is helped by some of the positive stuff that I managed to do and uh, yeah and I think that kind of allowing people to have that positive impact in societies is really important brilliant um listen I'm so thank you so much for giving us so much of your time it's fascinating and you know ultimately I do find like I said I'm a tourist you know I pop in and I do my podcast and that's about it but I just find it so inspiring there's people like you who are grafting and putting the time and the belief and the loving and um you know it, it leaves me elated it really does it makes me feel like there's hope and um it's yeah. it's it's really exciting and i'd love if it's all right with you i'd love to keep keep in contact and follow you and follow your follow your journey and the people you're working with's journey yeah definitely that'd be lovely thank you if you're interested in hearing more about the more than my past campaign and viewing dozens more inspirational stories check out the campaign website morethanmypast.org.uk and if you've enjoyed this podcast please tell your friends subscribe and look out for future episodes